What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. So I was hoping not to have to put this on, right? We're talking our Titanic analogy. We get some good Biogen news. And then Bloomberg comes out with this Apple news. I mean, I can't wait for Q3 earnings season to be over. And it just hasn't even started yet. Mitch, roll that intro. We got to figure all this stuff out quickly. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Look at the futures, and then we'll bring the boys in. Uh, we're down. We're down 18 handles, uh, 36.43. 30 handles off the low, whatever that means, uh, and 30 handles off the high. So a little bit of a rally going. The buck won't stop. I think this is like the eighth or ninth day in a row up, up 0.533, uh TLT. Oh, that's a nice bounce, uh, 36 cents at 101.31. Uh, gold and Silver, they're both in the red, down 240 and at 1634. Silver, lower 18 handle at 1812. Forgot about crude. Uh, crude has that double bottom in there that we've been keying off at 76.30. That's up 41 cents at uh, 78.91. Bitcoin and Ethereum in the red, uh, just marginally. Uh, let's bring on a triple D in bitch. And uh, and uh, first, triple D is going to expose on his Titanic theory. And uh, Mitch, Mitch has always his good technical analysis to uh, to add to the show. Oh, you want me to start with the Titanic? I don't know if I want to start there or not. Last night, so last night, I'm positioned. I'm actually short cues, pretty heavy. I'm like, I'm positioned for a down day here. And then the Biogen news hits. And I'm like, holy crap, that could prop the whole market up. And then they started ripping stocks. It dropped around. I think it was around 7.30 it dropped. And then they just started going and going and going. And I'm like, man, I got to reposition myself here. So I started covering some of my cues short. Of course, you know, after 8 o'clock, everything changes. One from one thing. From one, we were up with the futures. Biogen's going to look higher. It was still in the halt. Lily was higher. Sam was higher. We're going to get into the, those individual stories. And then the ball drop. Bloomberg. Apple. Production. Cutting production. Because of soft demand. And boom, the futures just start tanking on that. I was like, holy crap, that just changed everything. You didn't so anyways, hear the, the background the music when that news bucks. hit? What's that? I, I heard it hit, that background music. We're going down, Rose. This is it. 
We're going down, Rose. Rose, just give we... me a little room. Let me get on that. But no, no. <laughs> are we going to get in trouble for that one, Mitch, or not? Oh, yeah. We get fined for that, for know. sure. I take it. I take it. Yeah, we get fined for that. But, uh, okay, bringing it back, I mean, to the Titanic analogy. Sitting here bobbing up and down. We've been bobbing up and down last few days. Kind of breached the support a little bit, but bobbing, kind of hold it. Biogen lifts us a little bit last night, trying to lift the futures up a little bit. And then all of a sudden, boom. Now you just took, took out the full engine. Like you may have been yeah. like sitting there. Maybe the engine was still sputtering a bit. Now nah, the engine just got boomed. So I don't know. That's not good news. Well, but will we get a seventh straight We're still down? on support. We're still there. We're holding it, Joel. We're kind of trying to hold it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's kind of exactly what you said. It was like, you know, but if you thought that there was something that would be like the, the big down day, like the, like, pow, like we're going down, you would ask me, I would have said, ah, you know, a, a warning from Apple. And, uh, yeah. and Mitch and I were just talking yeah. on the afternoon show about the relative strength in Apple and Tesla. And if there was those, if those two stocks went down, then we're really going to crack. And here you are, here you have one of them. Let's go through the news because it's, it's, Give it's, us the Apple it's, news. it's kind of, it's kind Start of right with Apple. Forget Biogen. It's not going to move the overall market. Forget the Apple. treasuries. It's all about Apple today. Let's go to Apple. And this news is coming from Bloomberg. I just want to go ahead and state that before I get into it. It didn't come directly from Apple. Now, Apple is backing. This is what they reported. Apple is backing off plans to increase productions of its new iPhone this year after anticipated surge in demand failed to materialize. The company told suppliers to curtail efforts to increase assemblies from the flagship's iPhone 14, as many as 6 million units in the second half this year. Apple had aimed to produce 90 million headsets uh, for the period, nearly the same number as a year ago. And I this... What they're seeing is that they're even telling their suppliers to not bring uh, kind of the efforts to get their flagship iPhone as as many as six million. Um, and that's just for the second half of this year. Ninety million is going to be definitely a hard reach if they're going to be struggling just already in this first half of the year. Two things. One, this is not from Apple. This is reported from Bloomberg from sources say. Bloomberg is an excellent source. They usually are right. They usually are connected. It's probably right. But you just got to take it with, you know, the grain of salt there that, hey, this did not come directly from Apple. This came from Bloomberg. So they're hitting it. They're hitting the stock first and asking questions later here. It's what I've been concerned about. We know I hedged my long-term Apple position a little bit too early back in August. Um, Obviously, the stock continued to climb another 10 or 12 points after I hedged it, which I was like, wow, I can't believe it. Um, now, you know, you start taking out support, you have big support here around the 150 area, 146. It looks like it's going to take that out today. There's not a heck of a lot in here. Um, if this report is indeed true, if Apple confirms, you know, that, hey, uh, you know, production, a little bit of soft demand here, not good for the overall market. So, but we don't have confirmation from the company. We haven't had any comments. I don't believe from the company. So we do have to still acknowledge that this is from Bloomberg and not from Apple. With that being said, this is a huge hit to the overall market. I mean, I really believe we would have had a nice update off the Biogen news today, which mm-hmm. we'll get to in a second. But with this Apple news, as soon as that hit the tape, futures, you know, NASDAQ futures is straight down. I'm like, there's no doubter 
I mean, this is not good news. Apple down five is never going to be good for the overall market. What's the biggest component in the S&P? So, Joel, technically speaking, let's talk yeah. Apple and let's talk well, the first, S&P. Yeah, yeah. Well, first, first, I'll, I'll, I just want to say, and and we were reviewing this um, on the pre-pre-market show. Um, so, Apple not too long ago said that they were ramping up production in anticipation of bigger orders, right? So if if I'm looking at things, so the production was here, okay? They said they were going to go to here, right? But now they're coming back to here. So yeah, maybe it's a reduction of the increase that they were going to have. But to me, just says it's coming back to equal, equilibrium. So, and it's not even coming back for the company. Now, if they wouldn't have said we're anticipating higher demand, and you didn't have that higher anticipation, then aren't we right back where we started from? Yeah. I mean, that's... Silver lining market, Joel. I'm trying. I'm trying. I mean, I'm Trying just, to find a reason to not be bearish. I, I'm just saying, uh, this is the new... Like, you could, you know, you texted me, and we went back and forth last night. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at it. And I'm like... And that was the first thing that hit my mind. So... You know, it could just be hogwash and, and Bloomberg's got it right and the Apple's going down and the biggest component in the S&P is crashing and burning as we speak. And that, you know, that's a big thing. That was one of the, th- you know, one of the things that we've been talking about. But technically speaking, you had your boy stepping up at 149, 150. So I don't think you could be, you know, if you just want to wait and say, okay, this is this is BS, then it gets back above 150, holds 150. I would say, okay, yeah, this is BS. Right now, pre-market support coming in. I mean, steady buyer there at 45 and a half. I mean, they're there. They're, they're not paying 46 or 46 and a quarter. But really, maybe anything under 146, they're just kind of scooping it up. Um, does that coincide with anything on the dailies? No, not really on the Ain't dailies. Much in there, Joel. Not much in there. I, no. I'd say if you get a not if much. someone just panics. And just says, you know, this is horrible news. This is going down. I think you could see 143 and a quarter today and then 142.12. So that's, I, uh, I just yep. think, and I wouldn't have hedged my long-term position if I didn't think Apple was going down below. I've said before, I think Apple's eventually got a date at 120. I think it's too expensive. Multiple, that's a June low. The whole, yeah, the June, well, below the June low, I was even giving it to. It was a big level before June. If you go back into 2020, oh, yeah. 120 was like the April, like 2020. Oh, yeah. It's kind of where the right. stock got down to in the COVID bottom. I see it. Yeah, it's kind of where my target has been. Um, 22. I, mean, I have no position on right now besides obviously I'm long the stock, but hedge through options, but call parity. Um, so I'm net market, I'm net neutral Apple right now. I've been long Apple in my long-term portfolio for the better part of a decade. So sometimes a little uncomfortable to not be long Apple, but I am long some cues. But with that being said, I just it's the whole run in Apple. We've given this thing. The whole move in Apple has been multiple expansion. When we look at where this stock has gone the last three or four years, it hasn't gone up because they've just been growing earnings like crazy. It's gone up because of multiple expansion. It used to trade 12 times earnings. Now it trades 25 times earnings. So the big move has been multiple expansion. We're in a market that is into multiple contraction. Something just doesn't add up, and they've been forgiving of Apple for a long time. If Apple indeed warns, if they say something, and we're not going to get their earnings here for about three and a half weeks yet, but if they go into this earnings season, then they warn, Katie barred the door. They could knock 10% off the stock in a hurry. 
So I don't know if that's going to happen, but Bloomberg's saying it might happen. Obviously, we know their sources. So they're hitting it first and asking questions later. Stock is not cheap. No, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, the um, the June though uh, is quite a bit of that. I shouldn't. Have, I said should have said one thirty two um, instead of no June though one twenty nine oh four. I knew it was in the twenties, so that could be a longer term target on it. Um, on a rally, man, the bottom of yesterday's. I don't see them. This just you know the way it's looking right now, and the start's looking pretty heavy. I'd say you got You have to make that uh, that uh, five thirty. Uh, or excuse me, 150, uh, three-star resistance. And and until we get above that, I don't know, path of least resistance is lower. This is not the news we want no to hear. No reason to be a hero, yeah. Yeah. in my one... opinion. I mean, everybody's like, ooh, Apple's 180, it's 146. I'm going to make all that money because going back to the highs. Stop thinking about where stocks have been. Start thinking about where they're potentially going. Because we can say, oh, eventually Apple's going to get back to the all-time highs. I don't know if I had any business being at 180. I don't have, know if I had any business trading 28 or 29 times earnings. This company is huge. Unless they're coming to give me a product, it's, it's, it's basically a cash cow company. I mean, they haven't you know, come out with anything different than the iPhone. The milk in the iPhone, it's however half the revenue. I mean, maybe Gene's going to be right. They're eventually going to come out with a car or they're going to come out with some other products. They're very smart. It's a great company. But it's not trading 12 times earnings anymore. And we got this thing at 26 times earnings. Show me something. And right, show bef- me why. Okay, before we go into Biogen, because that's that's going to take a while to discuss. Uh, yeah. We're going to bring on our guest here a couple a couple minutes early. Sure. And uh, great guest. Uh, we got Cameron Dawson. She's a chief investment officer at New Edge Wealth. And uh, let's let's uh, let's bring Cameron on and uh, let's say good morning to Cameron. Cameron, how you doing? Oh, the old mute. She's okay. She's, she's all over she's this. She's just so. in a mute. No worries. <laughs> Well, there it is. Two, two years of this and still can't learn how to unmute yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, seven years and eight years here, and uh, we still do the same trick. So my first question to you, um, have you been listening to the pre-market prep show a lot? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> good answer. The good answer. <laughs> because uh, we've been using a water analogy. Uh, Dennis came up with it oh, when gosh. I was gone and just – Talking about the market just being the Titanic, you know, just kind of like weaving and not going down, not sinking, but just kind of weaving and bobbing. So that leads me into what your deck is called, and yours is a little bit, a little bit uh, more colorful, or it could be flush check. <laughs> yeah. Oh, flush check. How you like that one, Dad? That's flush there check. There you go. Let's see. I'm excited. Yeah. Okay. So Mitch, you know, start out. Mitch is gonna is gonna roll through this and uh tell us what you got on your mind. Well, if we continue that that Titanic analogy, it's it's if you look at the percentage of allocations still to equities in individual investor accounts, it's like they're saying, I'll never let go, Jack. I'll never let go. <laughs> because they're still sitting at 65%. Oh, and gosh. usually during major market meltdowns, they go down to 40, 45%. That's the wall of worry that gets built. That's why you get good returns on the other side of corrections. You haven't seen people let go of a lot of their equity longs so okay and i see this you know from my twitter account i see this you know in our chat saying everybody's bearish out there we got to go up because everybody's bearish but in the data you're saying that's not the case 
Yeah, look, there there's reason to think that we're there that we're short-term oversold. And I I would say that let's go back to the beginning of this year when sentiment was already very bearish. And I think we spoke at the beginning of this year looking at bull bear indicators and talking about how that probably wasn't going to hold true this year, that being seeing a lot of bears in the market didn't necessarily mean that everybody was positioned that way. So it was a watch what they do, not what they say kind of moment. And so, yes, there is a lot of bearish sentiment, but if and there is bearish positioning, you can see it in put call ratios, you can see it in institutional equity positioning as well. But we really haven't gotten to the point yet where we have seen a complete blowing out of individual equity positioning. And what's interesting is it's that it's those individual equity holders that tend to be more predictive of forward returns, meaning it's when households, it's when individual investors give up on their equities, that that's when you start to see forward returns improve. And that's what typically coincides with market bottoms. I think the other important thing to know is that bottoms in sentiment and even bottoms in positioning do not always coincide with the bottoms in price when you are in a major bear market. So we go back to the great financial crisis. We had the low in the allocation to equities from an institutional basis an entire six months before the market actually made a low and another 30 percent lower. So I think we we should be careful about ascribing too much timing to some of these measures. I think the conclusion of all of this, though, when we do the flush check is that we've made a lot of progress in letting a lot of air out of this market, meaning that maybe we're we're closer to the end than we were to the beginning. But still, we've been in this for nine months. So I think it's a question of how much further we go. Is this a market that, you know, is going to bounce back? I mean, we've had Craig Johnson on the show, some analysts saying, you know, Maybe not this year, but next year we're making new all-time highs again. Is this the kind of market that eventually, you know, just goes back to business as usual? Or are we in a different market environment here now where we don't have an accommodating Fed? We don't have, you know, a printing press, unless you're in in England, apparently. But we don't have this printing press that's just coming, you know, to save the day. What what are your thoughts here? Is there a path to get back to all-time highs? I think we are in a brave new world meaning that without the stimulus of the Fed, without the Fed's willingness to not only just pause tightening, but flip to aggressive accommodation, without that, it's really hard to justify valuations going back to where they were in 2020 and 2021. So then what that leaves is in order to get to new all-time highs without this major tailwind from valuation expansion to above 18, 19 times, really the only way that you can justify going above 19 times is if the Fed is stimulating aggressively. So without that, that means what you have to do is you have to grow into your multiple meaning that you have to have multiple years of earnings growth to kind of get into higher valuations or higher overall prices for the market because you're not going to have that tailwind from valuations like we have had since you know every time that we've come out of a major market low in the past cycle but again every one of those was really caused and 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 propelled by a fed that was being ultra ultra easy and accommodative you recall back in 2018 2018 at the market low in December, we had a real yield that was just above 1%. 
over the course of the next 18 months, real yields went to negative 1%. That's why tech outperformed. That's why the NASDAQ outperformed. It was not because of earnings. That's why Apple outperformed. It's not because of earnings. It's because of huge multiple expansion that has the tailwind of monetary policy behind it. So unless you think we go to a world where the Fed says we are okay with highly stimulative negative real rates, then you cannot count on multiple expansion to be your driver of returns. It has to come from earnings. Joel's on mute. Joel, Joel, look, see, Cameron, it's, it's, not Cameron's it's Joel doesn't Cameron's want to fault. show. So Joel, you know, we put the over/under at you know zero point five usually, or maybe it's even one point five. But yeah, on, on his you can tell stuff, Dennis is feeling. Go, better. Joel. I okay. never do the mute thing. Oh yeah. Okay. So but we got the bad CPI numbers, right? And that that kind of you know that kind of threw things off. So I, I never thought that like oh at the end of 22, 23, you know we're gonna stop going up, we're gonna pause, we're gonna go down. I, where are we at now with the Fed pivot? I mean, are we looking like end of 23, early 24? I mean, they got their foot on the accelerator. And, you know, where the new data, where to put you as far as the Fed pivot? So I think our, our first point is to acknowledge really this shift in tone by the Fed over the past few months. Going back in 2020, 2021, the Fed's view on inflation was that it's not our fault. We didn't cause this. This is all transitory. This is all supply chain related. This is caused by the pandemic and the, the resulting impacts of lockdowns. But what's happened, and it really was driven home at Jackson Hole in that very short eight minute speech, is the Fed actually took responsibility for inflation. And that's important because as they take responsibility for inflation, that signals their reaction function to incoming data. So when we think about how they will react to market volatility like we're seeing today, and you haven't heard a lot of commentary from Fed speakers speak about that yet. We did hear Yellen yesterday saying, nothing to see here, no problem, everything's fine. Um, not Obviously not everything's fine if you look at the UK market this morning. Uh, but what... The question is, as we see inflation start to moderate, and it will moderate, goods prices have decelerated from being up nearly 20% to start this year to running up only about 8% this year or, or the last month. The end result is that we likely go into goods deflation next year. But the problem that the Fed has is that it's not about goods prices and supply chains anymore. It's really solely about the labor market. And the labor market is a very lagging indicator. It moves slowly. Companies are very, very slow to fire workers because they've had so much trouble over the past couple of years hiring them. But the end result is that the inflation that we have today is not caused by pandemic-related factors of, of used car prices. So focusing on that is actually the wrong thing to do. Focusing on services inflation, which is driven by, by labor markets and tight labor markets and wages, is what the Fed is focusing on now. And what the Fed is afraid of is that if they respond to market volatility and cut rates, if they respond to inflation kind of moderating from a top line perspective because of goods prices, because of energy prices moderating, they fear that they will cement 
the higher inflation we're seeing in the labor market within services prices. And the challenge that those are is that those feed into what's called sticky inflation. Sticky inflation is running at 6.1% today. That's the highest in 40 years. Sticky inflation is considered to be inflation that is slower moving. So when it goes high, it stays high. It's less volatile. But there's one really very, very key important definitional point in sticky inflation. If you go on FRED, St. Louis Fed uh, data, the way that they define it is sticky inflation in, uh, includes more about inflation expectations in the in the inflation components because if you think for example if I'm a, a company that's hiring workers or raising wages I'm only going to raise wages if I think I can pass those prices on in the future so there's an embedded inflation expectations component to sticky CPI. So you have to watch that closely. We do not get a Fed pivot until we see significant moderation in that sticky CPI, and that takes time. All right. You got a lot of great stats here on trying to find a bottom, trying to pick a bottom, oversold not only on a daily but on a weekly basis, also moving in on some important moving averages. Everyone wants to pick the bottom. You got a lot of, you put a lot of great information out in front of us there. What, give us your top two or three things that you're looking to say, okay, it's time to, it's okay to dip your toe back in the water. So first, the, we're, we're seeing oversold indicators on the dailies, but on the medium terms and the weeklies, whether we're looking at the RSI comparing daily oversold to weekly, not quite oversold, or looking at breadth measures like looking at the percentage of names under their 50-day moving average, those looking oversold, but if you look at the names under their 200-day, we're not quite at that breadth flush yet. So that would argue that maybe you can get a little bit of a breather bounce, but this is not consistent yet with that big, huge, ultimate generational low like we typically see in, in major bottoms. The other point to that is that those measures can actually persist. So we have to be very careful in saying that once they hit those extremes, you ring the bell and say that the, that everything is over, it likely means that we are closer to the end than we are to the beginning. But it doesn't mean that you V-shape from there because V-shape really is required of some kind of Fed pivot, some kind of policy pivot, we think, um, in order to sustain that. So then how do we think about allocating portfolios in today's world? I think that the, the, the challenge we have is that now is when fear starts to set in. After you had a rip-roaring rally coming out of the June lows and everybody thinking all clear, everything's fine, we can go back to normal and the worst is behind us. When we retest like we have and we're now making new lows, that's when you start to see despair start to creep in. And when despair creeps in, that's when you start to make mistakes. That's when we start getting the calls of should I sell everything because the world is ending. And given the fact that we're now down you know, almost 30% over this correction or 25, 25%. And if, as we continue, we think the 200 week moving average around 350, 350, 35.50 is important um, as a place to hold. Um, not necessarily that it will uh, for a few reasons, but, but as we get towards those levels, 
we want people to start thinking in that strategic lookout one, two, three years plus versus the tactical, I'm trying to buy the ultimate low in this market. And so I think for those longer investors, you can start having these conversations about dollar cost averaging in, but in a very, very risk controlled way, because the problem is, as we're seeing in the UK, as we're starting to see within the treasury market, in the, in the dollar market, we are at risk of having some kind of liquidity shock. And liquidity shocks cause you to overshoot trends. And liquidity shocks usually come with spikes and fear emotion. And so we want to be prepared to be on the other side of that fear, to be opportunistic when that happens. Uh, but we, we do think that there is risk that we definitely undershoot that level, that 3550 level on the S&P from the 200 cool. moving average. All right, moving on. I love the name of your next section here. I'm not okay. I promise. Yeah, feeling a little emo. Okay, a little emo. <laughs> <laughs> so sentiment and positioning check. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of hard. Like we we kind of feel like people are still being super bullish, and you get the sentiment out there. Tell us about future positioning remains very short, and just what you use to gauge sentiment. Yeah, it's been short for quite some time. It's not a great timing tool. Oftentimes it flips short after a low, but now that that uh, condition has been violated now that we've made new lows, uh, meaning that we got to that peak short positioning back in June. So a lot of people said, oh, this must be it uh, because we're because we're so short. That really only tells one part of the story. We think the real thing that's been the stickiest here has been the individual investor allocation to equities. And until we see them throw in the towel, until we see FINRA margin loan balances, which are down about 17% now over the last six months, until we see those really go down 20, 30%, like we have in other major lows, we, we, we wouldn't really say that positioning has been truly flushed. Now, of course, institutional basis, it is very short. And we do see net net long positioning from a hedge fund's perspective be, be very, very light. And so that can set us up for some face ripping rallies. That is consistent with every bear market where you just get positioning that moves too far, too fast to the short side, sentiment too far, too fast to the, to the downside. And the end result is you get a relief rally. But then what really drives the trend of the bear market is the fundamentals. The thing that drives the bear market is going to be the path of liquidity, which drives valuations. It's going to be the path of growth, which drives earnings. And so I think what we have to do is, is have a view on that medium term trend, which we think still is down, but respect the fact when we get to these extremes. And given these technical measures, we might be getting close to one of those extremes. So if we see that rally, be careful not to ascribe too much narrative to it to think that the worst is over if we've seen no change in liquidity and if we see no change in growth. We're on the line with Cameron Dawson. She's a chief investment officer at New Edge Wealth. Uh, let's just go to, you know, the causes of inflation. You talked about this um, at the top of uh, at the top of the interview, you know, passing the buck, you know, from the supply chain issues uh, that we've had coming out of the pandemic uh, to services and labor, which, are, you know, once you get that raise, you know, you're not giving it back. And if you got a higher, you know, higher home costs, you're going to go ask for another raise. Uh, talk about the, the you know, the, the type of inflation, the sticky type of inflation. 
Yeah, this is so very important because you know, the strong labor market was something that the Fed has been celebrating for years and is now their greatest headache. The fact that even as we have seen these big high profile announcements of layoffs over the past few months, you've actually seen initial jobless claims over the last month trend lower. They're now back to June lows and all measures of the labor market still remain very tight, whether it's the number of job openings per unemployed worker being still near two. So two job openings per available worker. And or if you look at things like the NFIB, which is the, the small business survey asking about job openings being hard to fill, that's remaining near highs. It's hovering. So yes, we might be seeing signs that labor is becoming a little bit more abundant. You do see that the, the uh, uh, participation rate is going up, but we're starting from such a tight level. And the end result is that tight labor market has resulted, ultra tight labor market has resulted in higher wages, running at up about 6.7%. Higher wages is feeding into higher services prices, running at about 6.8% um, from the CPI components of services. That's what drives sticky inflation. That's why the Fed is staying tight. That's why the Fed is focusing on labor market statistics to tell them when they've gone too far. But the big catch here is that labor market is lagging. And so when they've gone too far, they're relying on a very lagging indicator to tell them that they've gone too far. Isn't, and I've made this argument on the show the last couple of weeks here. I, my concern is that the Fed actually has gone too far. They're using a lot of lagging indicators in their overall all analysis. We know, you know, inflation, you know, even the CPI lags to a certain extent. But I mean, I, you know, you think about just logically speaking, and I've talked about this on the show a lot too. Some of our listeners would have heard this, but, you know, when you start raising rates, it doesn't immediately just destroy demand. It doesn't destroy tomorrow because, you know, you start raising rates. Well, okay, well, people, you know, all of a sudden, you know, looking, okay, well, I'm a little tighter for cash. Maybe I'm not going to go out for the fancy dinner. Maybe I'm not going to go buy that new toy, you know, but I've got some credit card debt. Let's rack that up first. So they bring up the credit card debt. So credit mm -hmm. card debt starts going up, which we've seen, you know, has obviously increased substantially. Once you've maxed out your credit card debts, then you're going to start, you know, maybe not buying those, you know, discretionary items. Eventually, you get to a point where you just don't have, you know, the kind of, you know, discretionary income to really. And then that starts to kill demand. That's kind of the whole flow through of it all. So my question is, has the Fed already gone far enough with these rate increases that we just haven't seen, you know, the work of the Fed in the economy yet? But it's coming. Yeah, it's coming because... I think it's also not just the end destination, but it's how long you stay there that really has yeah. an impact. So think about if you're a small business that has a business loan that's tied to LIBOR or SOFR. Last year, 12-month LIBOR was 0.2%, and you paid some spread on that. Today, 12-month LIBOR is 4.7%. So you've seen your borrowing costs absolutely go through the roof. Now that's okay if it only lasts a couple months. If if the Fed pivots and goes back and we see borrowing costs go back to where they were. But you were not planning for borrowing costs at 4.7%. So let's think about this from a capital allocation perspective. What's been the most popular area for new for new money over the past few years in the reach for yield? Private credit. And everybody goes, "Well, it's floating rate is fantastic." 
Well, it's floating rate, which is fantastic for, for the lenders, but for the borrowers, you could start seeing credit issues. A lot of real estate based on floating rate, venture credit, venture equity. There's a lot of areas where if you do not work with really good underwriters who know these businesses well, you could have major risks. And I think if we think about where there could be systemic risks from this action by the Fed, it's in those areas that have really been built on the back of ultra loose policy for years and years, never thinking you'd get to 4.7% on 12 month LIBOR. And now you're in this shock where you have your funding costs go through the roof and you should see what what likely happens is a significant downshift in activity because you have a lot less flexibility to invest in your business, expand, hire people, all of those things that were all built on the back of ultra cheap money. All right. So we're, uh, we're moving on here. I, thanks for we're keeping you on for a long time. I really appreciate it, but just, uh, just one more thing to uh, wrap up the interview. And I, I love the, uh, uh, you know, the, um, the way you approach things. But one thing that's really been plaguing the market um, has been the dollar. Mm-hmm. And you say, don't stop me now. Could you quickly just give us the impact and aftermath of the strong U.S. dollar? Yeah, this is so, so important, which is that we are seeing the dollar go go parabolic right now. And, and Bob Farrell has a has a quote in his in his four in his 10 top rules, which is that, you know, once things start to go in extreme uptrends or downtrends, they can continue a lot longer than you think. So this parabolic move can go a lot faster than we think and higher than we think. However, what comes on the other side is usually not just a benign sideways consolidation. You have a sharp correction to the other side. And that's what we learn from past big dollar cycles. And what typically happens is that something breaks when the dollar goes goes parabolic, when it tightens so much. Even back in 2014, we had the, the bursting of the oil bubble and the industrial recession that was the result of a very strong dollar. Something will break this time. Things are breaking in the UK. Things are breaking in Southeast Asian currencies. We are going to have issues because of this this dollar period. But what comes on the other side is really interesting is that usually you see a a steep dollar bear market. And what happens when you have steep dollar bear markets is that non-US assets have typically had, it's the only time that they have a period of outperformance, which is why we've been having this whites of the eyes kind of mentality to to non-US trades, meaning that until we see the dollar break in a meaningful way, we do not want to go overweight international and emerging markets. But but as we all look and say the U.S. is the best house in a bad block, we have to start thinking the next step ahead, what comes on the other side of of this of this dollar rally. So in in the near term, we stick domestic because that's where we have the least risk of having a major currency crisis like you're seeing in in EM and international. We still have really weak trends um, within international, no signs of it turning around. But when you look back in history, you look at that period from 2000 to 2007, you go back to the period from 1985 to 1990, the only times that non-US assets actually had major outperformance was in major dollar bears. So be prepared on the side of a major dollar bull as we're in now, and it can continue and it will, it, it, it likely goes on given the posturing of global central banks, but on the other side, be prepared for what happens. And, and it typically is a major shift in money flows, asset flows uh, around the world. 
All right, last part. Sugar, we're going down. Valuation EP estimates still at the risk of cuts. We have gone through the June low. We're we're trying, we're trying to get back above it here. Uh, tell us what you need to see technically here, and then what would be your next target on the downside. Yeah, so we, we still think that valuations need to go lower and EPS estimates have to go lower, uh, that they're still sitting at 243 for, for 2023. If we break that down into looking at some of the cyclical sectors, you have consumer discretionary still having 30% growth marked down for next year. A lot of that is Tesla, but 30% given the fact that the Fed's saying it wants to see higher unemployment, which means higher lower consumption, um, is just not is just not possible. Look at something like industrials still having 17% growth markdown for next year. Industrials with FedEx giving that kind of pre-announcement we had two, two weeks ago and the PMI barely in expansion, not possible. So if the number goes to down 10%, which would be kind of a run-of-the-mill recession, very mild recession from an earnings standpoint, you're looking at valuations on today's levels that are trading at about 18 and a half times. That's too expensive given the Fed posturing and Fed tightening. So what that implies is that we could see if that number really is about $200 a share for next year, which, you know, some will argue is still very optimistic. You know, you put a 16 times multiple on that and that gets you to what could be kind of that peak kind of flush downside um, that we get from this market. So, you know, I think that that that's where we where we have to appreciate these things drive the medium term trend valuations, which are driven by liquidity and earnings, which are driven by growth. That's the medium term trend. That's essentially your 200 day moving average. But we know that we can oscillate around that trend because of positioning, because of sentiment. And so we have to be disciplined and not read into being too oversold to the downside, thinking the world is ending immediately or too overbought to the upside, thinking that everything's all clear. Remember that medium term trend, because that will really be the key uh, place for us to determine where we think we could actually make a sustainable bottom. And for now, we don't see it yet. All right. Cameron Dawson, Chief Investment Officer at New Edge Wealth, giving us an extended look at the markets. We really appreciate your time today and uh, we'll be we'll be tracking you down soon. Have a great day and thanks again. Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, Triple D, uh, did you put a book down on your bike here or something? What are you, what are know, you doing? We've been rallying Cameron, what turning you... this market around here. <laughs> um, Biogen is helping big time here, though. We're now up 51% on Biogen. It's rallied another $10 since we started the show. The TLT also has turned back to the green. And again, and to Spinner's point in the chat there right now, he's absolutely correct. The TLT is leading the way. Bonds have been leading the way here for a long time. Bonds leaking yesterday, um, you know, just looking, you know, been going down, down, down. Markets following suit. So we get a little relief here in the TLT this morning. It's probably off the back of the Bank of England, which we haven't even talked about here yet. But the B of E is doing QE. And, you know. All right, let me, get, let, let me get to some headlines because we've only got an Apple done. So let's go do, into it. <laughs> let's start. Let's start show. <laughs> let's go, guys. Uh, Bank of America. Uh, Bank of America. The Bank of England said that it would temporarily purchase long-dated UK government bonds in an effort to stabilize the uh, plunging British pound. This is very important. Of course, it's going to affect the US dollar also. Um, And then you also saw the US 10-year Treasury yield breach 4% for the first time since 2010. Now, two signs that I say we kind of keep on watch for 
kind of bear market rallies. Doesn't mean it's going to happen today, but something to keep on watch is a turnaround in the two-year yields and a turnaround in the dollar. Um, so if we could get those to turn around, maybe we could get ourselves a rally. So I'm keeping my eye especially close on the dollar because I feel like that's definitely having an effect. And we'll see if we get turned around. Now, a lot of people are starting to ask, have investors priced in an earnings slowdown and the impact of the Fed interest rate hikes? Is this as far down as we're going to go? So uh, investors are starting to ask that question. And we'll keep watching kind of the treasury yields and, of course, the dollar to see if we get a little bit of a turnaround there. This is a pivot from, Eng from the Bank of England. Um, yeah. Obviously... They've just thrown in the towel. They see the pound getting pounded here, and they're like, we got to do something about it. So they're right now temporarily forgetting about inflation. We just need to protect our currency to a certain extent. <laughs> Forget inflation. So they've thrown in the towel. It's a complete pivot here. QE. And don't kid yourself. We were down 40 handles on the S&P. That news broke, I think, around in the 7 o'clock handle, 7.30. And we ripped all the way up to scratch. You can see it if you bring up Spy Joel. You'll yep. see when that news broke. Um, S&Ps were trading down about 40 handles and we're in the seven o'clock handle. And this four chart system still I, confuses me because I'm like, I don't know where to even find the right. Well, you should, it shouldn't be confusing to you because we've had it up here for so long. I'm just saying, the upper like we're left talking chart overnight. Is like, I, I, I've never liked the four chart system. We did a vote on it a year ago and everybody wanted to keep it. I kind of want to talk about, you know, what I see. Well, this what is I last is night. Just concentrate prep. on the upper left chart. chart. This is the this is the after hours chart right here. Yeah, but then none of that happened after hours. So okay. So we're well, when did it happen? Did it happen pre-market? You're looking at the yeah, you can see. You you can't okay. see when it happened. Look, look, look at the SPY. Okay. You said so look at the SPY you tell me when it happened. There right you there. go. Joel's found it. So you can see we had that significant spike up there where we were down, you know, three, you know, three spy points, three fifty-nine, and then boom. You know, we came out, obviously Bank of England comes out, does announces a QE, and the market ripped up almost a scratch on that. And then we started to sell off again as they start remembering Apple. Well, now we've started to rally here again. It has turned TLT here around as well. So, I mean, <clears throat> we look here now. It It's totally stimulus from England that's moving this thing. Like Biogen was there. That news was there. It doesn't hurt the market here. Mm -hmm. But it's really, you know, the Bank of England QE, you know, pivot oh. here. That is really like, like okay, well, Bank of England is going to do it. Again, maybe eventually here, you know, the U.S. is going to do it as well. So... And it's also affecting the dollar. You're starting to see the dollar start ticking down there. I've been keeping a close eye on DXY, um, and that's starting to show some weakness there. There's some resistance around the 114.50s or 60s. Um, so keep your eyes on the dollar. See if it gets into the red today. It's still in the green for right now, keeping a close eye on that. And then, of course, uh, keep your eyes on some bonds. I mean, that's been a, a good way to kind of give an overall kind of look into the market spy still pushing there now the 36507 let's get into what no, was no, the no, we're not done this so i don't want to we keep worrying about go 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 important conversation here is apple very bad news <clears throat> amazing market reaction so far absolutely amazing market reaction we have apple down five bucks on a bloomberg warning it's only down three and a half here and the market is up that's good news for the market because we've been talking, you know, there's a lot of things to worry about here. There's lots of things to worry about. But this reaction is important because, one, we're still holding SPY support. 
So we're still holding 360, 361. We're still holding major support here. We have not breached it. We breached the pre-market. I don't care. Nobody cares about the pre-market. They care about what it's going to do in the regular session. We hold today. That would be very good news for the bulls. That would be very, very good news for the bulls if we can hold green here today. There's a lot of worries here, though. I still think the earnings season is going to be a disaster. I still personally think the market's going lower. Laura in the chat thinks I'm just trying to talk the markets down all the time. I'm long the markets. I am not short the market. I'm net neutral in my trading portfolio. I wish I could be bullish. I want the market to go higher. I don't want to be bearish. I want to make money with everybody else. I want the markets back to the way they were. But we got to talk realistic of what we have. There's a lot of things. To Cameron's point for the last 20 minutes, there's a lot of things to worry about here. But so far today, just today, so far so good. Biogen news was very good to kickstart a little bit of speculation in biotech. Secondly, the Apple warning destroyed the market, but now we've got the Bank of England bringing the market back here. So lots of balls to juggle here. i got to get more information and see how it plays out. Can the market close green today? Because that would be big. Uh, just look at, and a lot of times, you know, we go back and forth between, you know, the S&P chart, uh, you know, the, the futures and, and the SPY, uh, you know, for this instance here, taking out the two charts on the left, right, which is the 15 minute pre-market and after hours, the same thing as the 60 minute after hours and pre-market. If you go to the upper right chart, just that 370. I mean, that's just sticking out like like just like a sore thumb to you, right? Yeah. Look at those three highs in that area. So, yeah, maybe they're – but we have gone up there and just failed. I mean, you know, for the last three days. Now, yeah. uh, how that looks in the S&P, I know exactly where it looks in the S&P. Um, it comes into – you had a little bit higher here, but the intraday high right here is 37.30. So, you know, that there you go. There are your numbers. There where I think you got some room to the upside, but I don't think there's any chance of the bulls wrestling control away from the bears until we can clear that level. One other thing, and I'm going to discuss this uh, uh, with Rob at uh, 1030. Uh, we are coming into some seasonal, you know, seasonality patterns coming into the end of the quarter. And, you know, history in the past has, you know, indicated that, the market does rally into the end of the quarter. We have a couple days left, so there's a seasonality factor. I'm um, looking at it, but um, you know, just like we're so far off the pre-market low, yeah, you know, it doesn't look like we're going back there. So you got to look at where this rally can go. We're in um, the middle. We're still yeah. bobbing. We're still yeah. bobbing back to you know the <laughs> Titanic analogy Perfect. here. It looked like you know, like you know, dead hit. You know, the iceberg. You know, Apple. Looks like it's going to go, but then you get the bank angling. <laughs> so there's that's a central bank defending markets. That's huge. It's huge, and the market's not going to forget about it. I mean, it's been on the CNBC screen for two hours straight here. Bank of England to buy bonds. This is a big deal. But doesn't so, this and cause... it is a big deal that, that the TLT is holding? What do you want to say, Mitch? Well, wouldn't this wouldn't this just be kind of a band aid that the Bank of England is trying to do here? It's all a band-aid. So, I mean, that, we've, been, we've been five band years working markets. off band-aids. Yeah. I mean, band -aid and, and to the point, you know, one, one, one thing, and we can go back to a bearish rant if you want. We can go at a bullish rant. We can go either way here. Short term, the markets are oversold. Cameron said it too. So could we bounce to 380 SPY? We could. But is there really this, you know, I keep trying to come up with, you know, why do I want to go fully invest in this market? 
One, I can send cash at 4.2% right very now. Very nice. Yep. That, that's very nice. Two, mm-hmm. there's so many risks out there that I just don't know about. Why am I, do I want to warn that risk? And just go back and put your CFA cap on. How do you value stocks? we got to consider the risk-free rate. Risk-free rate, 0.5%. Stocks are worth a lot more. <laughs> risk-free rate is 4%. Stocks are worth a lot less. So we can keep saying, oh, you know, historically, we were trading 18, 19, 20 times earnings. We're also trading 20 times earnings because discount, the risk-free rate's been 1% forever. So now all of a sudden, it's not. That gives an argument that, hey, maybe we shouldn't be trading 20 times earnings if the risk-free rate's going to be 4.2% or if the risk-free rate is going to continue to go higher. So, I mean, all of that's got to be considered in your own investment thesis, you know, in your own investment time. You know, obviously, we don't know everybody's personal situation. But I just say... I want to have a good chunk of cash still, just in case this really gets ugly, because it can. It doesn't have to, but it can. And to Cameron's point, again, she made a lot of good points today. It's maybe not about you know where we're, we're going, but how long we stay there. I mean, if we you know, just jack rates up to 4 or 5%, and then you know, next year we take it all back down to 0.5%, well, that's what the market wants to see. That's what the market hopes the Fed is going to do. And the Fed's probably going to have to do that. They're probably going to have to bring them back down because the economy's going to tank. So we cannot support this economy with a risk-free rate of 5%. It, it won't be, get held up because it'll hurt from so many different levels. So eventually rates probably have to go back down. Do we get inflation in check before that happens? That's what the Fed hopes so. Did, did we do any technicals uh, did I, on the biogen at all? Because uh, I think, I mean, historically, Dennis, uh, these kind of moves actually it came from from different levels. Historically, that that pre market high has been a it's been a really good level. If you would have uh, the last couple pops now. Oh gosh, it got to yeah. three forty this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. I should have been selling. Uh, full disclosure: I'm long biogen. It was one of the first stocks I've ever bought in my long-term portfolio. I've been long it for almost 20 years. My average cost basis is $41 on it. So I'm probably, I have sold part of my biogen along the way. Um, you know, part of me thinks, you know, on these pops, you know, if stock goes up 100 points, you should ring the register and move on. But valuation's always been reasonable in biogen. It's always had the wild card of the Alzheimer's drug, and it's getting closer. So I think eventually there's some money made here, but I'm absolutely not buying something up 100 points. I'm absolutely not paying up 150 points at 4 a.m. when all the stupid traders just, you know, come out and they just don't know what they're doing. Yeah. So um, for 340, this seems insane. Yeah, these it's so hard when you have these kind of – and look at this. Uh, it didn't quite get there, but uh, back in uh, no, uh, September of 21 – he had a pop uh, to 341.29. It actually opened at 341 and a quarter, hit 341.29, and then it closed the day at 282.89. Uh, oh, actually, uh, well, that, that's a month. That's a month. I'm sorry. That was a monthly high there. Uh, let's uh, let's get a few more stocks in. Um, I, we could talk Lily, or do we want to talk to Hurricane Trade? Uh, well, we should talk Lily and Sava. They're getting a, a sympathy pop here. Sometimes you can see these things go the other way, where you get the drug and you know, all of a sudden it's competing drug. But in this case, you know, obviously there's other drugs, Lily, similar drugs, Sava, wow. another sympathy play here as well. Sava's leaking big time here. Lily is not leaking. Sava has leaked back the majority of its pre-market gains. This thing was trading up at $54 here this morning. Again, when the 4 a.m. traders who don't know what they're doing overpay for everything. 
Um, you always want to be a net, you know, uh, just going back to the 4 a.m. talk, I said I used to trade 4 a.m. I traded it for a decade. And the, what I would do at 4 a.m. is just sell, you know, ridiculous prices. You know, so you get up there and saw I was trading 51 last night on the news and at 4 a.m. they got to buy it up to 54. It was a great selling opportunity. And obviously the 4 a.m. traders who bought it at 54 are having buyer's remorse big time. Stock has given a lot of it back. Um, with Lily, hasn't given a lot of it back. It's holding up fairly strong. Can you do a technical on Lily, Joel? L L Y? Yeah, man. Back I up just, the major resistance. I know. And this, uh, boy, this this one guy got the uh, the upgrade. This is is this all time high. This is yeah, all time high. I think all yeah. time high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, all time high is three thirty five thirty three. Uh, that was from July of this year. You were just under two hundred bucks. I don't know what guy got that uh, that down that upgrade, right? I believe it was on this day. So what I would do is I would just kind of right there. We're trading there right now. If your goal over the last three months was to sell Lily at its all time high, pretty much this is your opportunity. Yeah. Um, I would like to go back on the dailies because when they have days like that, I kind of like to see what the close was on that day. The day that it hit 35.33, uh, the all-time closing, it was right there, 31.60. So those are the two numbers. But right back up, just in a, a big move for Lily. Let's see if it uh, can sustain. I saw Sava was leaking as well. Um, that's way off the high. You're not going to see that pre-market high. Uh, on the dailies, let's see, your two-day high is uh, 47.67. I would keep an eye on that. Yeah, take a look at some biotech today. Uh, another one that's moving on sympathy on that. Thanks, Zoltan. You mentioned it in the chat there. Long Jevron, uh, LGVN. So take a look at that one. That one's definitely also getting a little bit of a spike. Cheaper name, but definitely also up about 16% in the pre-market. Yeah, up 96 cents. It's really good news. I mean, this is a terrible disease. And, you know, we've said this for a long time. Eventually, somebody's going to come out without approved drug for Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it's coming. It looks like it's going to be Biogen. So it's fantastic news for the world. Fantastic news for the individual company as well. Again, you know, there's going to be some skepticism because we've seen, you know, some good trials. And, you know, obviously, the FDA and, you know, we saw the approval. But then it was a conditional approval and stocks come back down. But, you know, this is fantastic news for the world. So I'm happy for the world today. Okay, the world happiness. Okay, I just say world that. LG, uh, boy, that that really leaked off the pre-market high, the LGVN. So you got some heavy lifting to do to get back up to five forty-five. You also got PRTA too. If you're looking for Fina, sixty-four percent. There's just you know a lot Ooh. of you know stocks to think about off of this. So. Well, well, yeah. Okay. Let's do the hurricane trade real quick. Yeah. I just want to take a second there to wish anybody that's listening in on us well through the hurricane. Definitely stay safe, stay inside. I know that that might sound like, you know, obvious news, but definitely always have that plan B location and understand that, you know, much love is, is to you. Trading will be here the next day. So you don't need to be trading today. I, I know that a lot of people try to end up, you know, trading through the hurricane. Probably not the best idea. 
Do we um, have a path? Like it's uh, it's yes. obviously changed. Originally, they thought it was going to hit Tampa. Now they think it's coming in south of Tampa. I believe the latest Fort Myers. I've heard um, yeah. it's going to be a window between kind of like Fort Myers up to like kind of Clearwater area. In yeah. between there, the eyes should go through. But it's a big enough hurricane that it's probably going to take up all of Florida once it's on land. So yeah. all of Florida will wow. be affected from it. And then it looks like it's going to get into back into the water for a little bit and then head right back into land. So just be careful on out there. Uh, this is definitely going to be affecting for the next week and a half. The, the three hurricane trades, and I've been playing the hurricane trade to a certain extent, obviously Generac, GNRC. It was working yesterday and then it sold off, but it's uh, up a little bit today. I'm long GNRC, full disclosure. Home Depot yeah. HD is up four bucks here this morning. That's the hurricane trade as well. And then you also obviously have Lowe's and it's trading up $3 yep. as well. So Hurricane trade clearly on here this morning. Uh, GNRC, Home Depot, and Lowe's. And yeah, full disclosure, uh, I am trading. Those are trading positions. Well, I, all I have is uh, the GNRC, but I will be getting out of that trade today. Yeah, and uh, my little competition, I took Home Depot too. So I can't blame you for that Home Depot outlook. Um, that's a good move for Home Depot, four bucks. Yeah, not a bad one at all. We'll see what happens now. Uh, if it can continue to run, of course, these are going to be kind of more the buy the rumors, sell the news. Um, they should be selling more, you know, kind of wood. Um, of course, it's an expensive uh, price, but we'll see how much it really lifts Home Depot in the next couple of days. Generac was more what I, I, I definitely saw kind of getting a little bit of a lift. And we'll see if it can get back towards the 190 where it was at yesterday. All right. Uh, just at nine o'clock hour here. I'm going to hop off. Uh, we got the pre-market high here at uh, 36.81. Uh, not much up here. Uh, as you saw in the spies, we had uh, in the spy, we had all those highs at 370. I don't know if we have the gas to get there. Uh, but I, what I think would be whatever, you know, goes on in the, you know, the first half hour or 45 minutes or whatever. Let's see if it holds. I mean, that that's exactly what, it's, you know, what's been happening. We've already had. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, over, you know, a hell of a range. Yeah, hell of a range. So, um, you know, just one of those days, you know, and when it was rallying yesterday, it was like, oh, okay, it took out the pre market highs right at the previous day's high, and then completely. Of course, you had some different Fed speak, and Dennis, uh, you mentioned that the, the TLT got weak, but uh, let's see, at least uh, we, we turned it around for now. Uh, great show, and uh, guys, I'll be back with you later on. I'm going to go cover some tickers over there and pre-market prep plus. And so, so we're going to talk payment stocks with a uh, Moshe Katri from a uh, Wedbush. So I'll check in with you guys later on. All right. Joel's getting on out of here. I'll get Dennis on out of here and go score some touchdowns. Maybe four of them. Four today, touchdowns, Dennis. one game, Al Bundy. <laughs> go get him, Dennis. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and wrap on up and get you guys on over to some live trading action. That's going to be coming up next I will be heading towards a doctor's appointment finally. Uh, but we'll get you guys over to some live trading. Come on over. Check out the trading action. We'll see what happens today. You know, the Apple news. Uh, we got some Biogen news. So biotechs might be up, but the market might be down. Who knows? We'll definitely keep on watch to see what happens in the market today. Come on over to live trading and continue the day, of course, right here on Benzinga. <laughs>